Are you looking for ways to strengthen your marriage? Would you like to raise children you enjoy being around? Do you long for a peaceful, orderly home that's a blessing to everyone who comes through its doors? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Jennifer Flanders, a Bible-believing, homeschooling mother to 12 and host of the Loving Life at Home podcast. Join me as we discover what God's Word has to say about marriage, motherhood, and minding the things that matter most. Hello, friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Loving Life at Home. Today, we're talking about parenting. Of course, none of us are perfect parents. We all make mistakes. We all flub up from time to time. But there are a few very big but very common mistakes that we'd like to avoid or counteract if we can. Just because everybody else is doing something a certain way does not make it right or mean that it's in the best interest of our children. Are you a mom? Then I imagine you, like most mothers, love your children dearly and want what is very best for them in life. You want to nurture and protect them. You want to fill their childhood with wonderful opportunities to learn and grow and create lasting memories. Isn't that right? I do too. As parents, those things are just part of our job description. But if we aren't careful, our mother love can become smother love. Sometimes the things that we do in an attempt to help our kids out end up holding them back instead. Sometimes our parenting mistakes actually just serve to handicap our children. Countless habits fall into this category, but I can think of six that are extremely common in our current culture. If your goal is to sabotage your child's future success, doing these six things would be a great way to go about it. The first parenting mistake is not requiring your children to do chores. Mama, you aren't doing your children any favors by attending to all the chores yourself while they play. I know that sometimes it takes more time and effort to train children to do a job than it would to just do the job yourself, especially when those kids are really little. But you and your children will both suffer if you take that easy way out. That's because chores teach valuable life skills. They build confidence and contribute to family living. And they also prepare kids for eventual independence, which is very important. Kids who are never required to do any chores whatsoever are more apt to feel entitled and less inclined to truly appreciate the work that's done on their behalf. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says that if anyone is not willing to work, neither should they eat. And I think it's important that even from a young age, children see themselves as a contributing member of the family and view their work and their chores as vital and appreciated. And I'm not saying that you should treat your children like slaves or push your own chores off on them to do while you kick up your feet and watch soap operas or scroll through social media. That's not a healthy option for anybody. But working side by side together with your children to accomplish household tasks, that boasts much further reaching results than just keeping your home tidy from day to day. Studies show that children who are required to do chores fare better when they leave home. In fact, one study showed that the best predictor of young adults' success in their mid-20s was the fact that they participated in household tasks when they were only three or four. So if you want your child to develop a strong work ethic, learn time management skills, and be better prepared for life, then assign age-appropriate chores. Have them make their beds keep their room tidy, clear the dishes off the table after dinner, help fold their laundry, and when they get older, they can pitch in with other household chores and lawn work as well. 
I have several free printable resources over on our family website, Flanders Family Home Life, that I'll link in the show notes, including a list of appropriate chores for children broken down by age group, and also a bedroom inspection chart that will give your kids some guidance when you tell them to go clean their room. Of course, there's a lot more that I could say here, but I'm going to save that for a dedicated podcast on children's chores. For right now, we'll just note that if you don't want to put your kids at a disadvantage, you should give them chores to do and teach them to do their work competently, consistently, and cheerfully. Such traits lay the foundation for future success regardless of what field of work they choose. Now, another common parenting mistake that will come back to bite you is making excuses for misbehavior. It's true that sometimes Junior is cranky because he's tired, but if he hears you make that excuse often enough, he'll start to view his tired, cranky feelings as a free pass to behave badly. And that's just not good for anybody. Proverbs 6.30 tells us that excuses could be found for a thief who steals because he's starving, but that doesn't mean stealing's right, and he's still expected to pay back seven times what he stole if he's caught doing that. If missing naps or eating sugar or playing video games or taking tests or hitting puberty or having to sit still for long periods of time makes it difficult for your child to behave properly, then by all means take such considerations into account when you're drafting their schedules or your menus or your family vacations, but don't use less than ideal circumstances to justify misbehavior in your own mind or in the mind of your child. Instead, we need to teach our kids to be courteous and kind, whether they feel like it or not. Don't tolerate hateful, unruly, obnoxious behavior, as it's only going to serve to make your kids and everyone around them miserable. Now, one of the examples that I can give you of this in our life is um, blood sugar. We have three sons with diabetes, and every single one of them, when their blood sugar is running excessively high, they get so irritable, and they're ready to pick fights with anybody that's around. And while that helps alert us that there's a problem, and we do understand that there's a correlation, we also have to, after we've addressed the blood sugar address the behavior and let them know this is not acceptable no matter how bad you feel. No matter how high your blood sugar is, we don't want you picking fights, uh, being argumentative, all of this kind of stuff. So we've worked on it. And in fact, one of the ones that's still at home that has diabetes told me recently, mom, you think that every time I'm high, I act out like this, but you're not giving me credit for the times that I'm high and I I rein it in and keep it in control. It's true that when I'm acting this way, I'm usually high, but it's not true that every time I'm high, I act this way. So he is making progress on that, and I'm grateful for that fact, but uh, that's just one area that I can give as an example where there really is something physical going on, but We can't let that be a free pass to act in a way that is not uh, in keeping with our family culture and uh, the values that we want to pass on to our kids. Now, the third parenting mistake I want to discuss is an over-reliance on electronic devices for entertainment. Have you ever noticed how still and quiet the house gets when your kids are watching TV or playing a video game or surfing the internet or they're otherwise engaged with computers and smartphones and tablets? As a parent, I really understand how tempting it is to use screen time to purchase a couple of hours of peace and quiet. 
or a block of time that you can get a project done. But allowing screen time to become the rule instead of the exception is an all too common mistake that parents make. And when we make that the norm, then some scary things start to happen. Interpersonal skills suffer, brains actually get rewired, creativity dwindles, attention spans shorten, family time disappears. None of that is conducive to the kind of vibrant, loving home life that we want to create. And so I do think that we need to be careful in this area and pray with the psalmist, Lord, let me set no vain thing before my eyes. Keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. It has been shown that excessive screen time affects their language development and their ability to communicate and read facial expressions. And so we don't want our kids to to fritter away their entire childhood staring at screens. We can't let that happen. The majority of screen time would be better spent reading books or riding bikes, building forts, drawing pictures, making friends, and playing in the fresh air and sunshine. Just really about anything that your kids could be doing at home would be better than being on um, a device. There's a great meme floating around the internet, part of an initiative to get families to unplug, and it shows a couple of youngsters hiking through the forest and reads, kids don't remember their best day of television. I think that sentiment is generally true, although it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I do have fond memories of coming home from school and my mother said, Jennifer, there's a movie on tonight that I think you would really enjoy. If you'll go take a nap, we'll wake you up before it starts and let you stay up late to watch it. I I can count four movies that they did that with. And I remember every single one. Part of what made it special is that it was so rare. Uh, It didn't happen every night. If I had been allowed to stay up until 11 o'clock or midnight every night watching TV, then the memories would have been commonplace and my grades and my health and my mental well-being would have all suffered undoubtedly as a result. And I say this as a mom who has spent the past week hosting a Mission Impossible marathon for my teens and their friends who got it in their heads they wanted to watch all six of Tom Cruise's former films before Mission Impossible films, before going to watch the most recent one in theaters. So we've broken out the projector, rearranged furniture, stocked up on popcorn and other movie snacks, and we've invited a bunch of their teen friends to come over every night for the last week watching a Mission Impossible, a different one every night. Uh, And it's been fun, but I wouldn't want to keep that pace up for much more than a week, nor would they. And, And so they're much better served by meeting up weekly for Ultimate Frisbee, which they do several times a week, or swims at the lake or board game tournaments, just like my childhood memories of catching fish and frogs and fireflies or eating picnics with my family, baking cookies, having friends over for homemade ice cream, attending family reunions, all of those things are far more precious to me than that time I got to stay up late and watch Flower Drum Song. So do your kids and yourself a favor and set some reasonable boundaries when it comes to using technological devices. You needn't ban them completely, but don't let them become the mainstay of how any of you spend your time. The fourth parenting mistake 
that I see folks making is rescuing your child from consequences of bad decisions. Did your young scholar wait until the last minute to start a science project? If you stay up half the night doing that project yourself, you're going to rob your child of the opportunity to learn an important life lesson while the stakes are low. Not to mention the fact that by rewarding your child's procrastination that way, you've removed any incentive for her to do better in the future. Really, one of the most loving things that you can do for your children is to give them plenty of opportunities to fail while those stakes are low. To the extent that you can let your child suffer natural consequences without risking life or limb to do so, do so. If he neglects his chores, let him miss out on playing time to finish them. If she loses a library book, let her buy the replacement. If he spills the milk, let him help clean it up. You will develop in your children a sense of personal responsibility and you'll drive home the idea that their actions or inactions have consequences when you do this. Then they can say with the psalmist, my suffering was good for me for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Recently, our daughter, uh, our 13-year-old, was practicing her volleyball serves in our side yard and accidentally hit the ball against her brother's window and broke a pane out of the window. Of course, she did not do that on purpose. It was an accident, but it was also a little bit of a hassle to repair. Uh, I did the repair myself, but she uh, helped. She uh, fetched ladders and tools and uh, helped, uh, stood on the inside while I was on the outside trying to replace the glass and get the little casing that was holding the broken pane out and she got the trash and she she helped with it. And so that was uh, a consequence of something that she had done. Even though it wasn't intentional, uh, she still helped with the cleanup. And uh, I think that that's good for kids to be able to learn that their actions have consequences. And even when they don't mean to do something, if it has a negative consequence, they should get to help bear that and learn about life in that way. Now, the fifth parenting mistake that I want to discuss is overscheduling to the exclusion of free time. Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us that to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven, and that is a great principle to keep in mind as you contemplate extracurricular activities and try to find a balance in the way you schedule your time. I know it's very popular these days to enroll kids in every extracurricular activity that is offered, but it really gets excessive pretty quick. Between school and sports practices, music lessons, dance classes, gym memberships, scout meetings, church programs. Kids barely have a moment to call their own. But children need downtime just like parents do. They need time to think, time to dream, time to explore. They need to dig deeper into topics that interest them. So give them some unstructured time free from outside commitments to pursue some screen-free activities. Parents make a mistake when they leave their kids and themselves no margin. Just this week, one of my daughter-in-law sent me this wonderful article. I'll link it in the show notes uh, on the importance of play in the life of kids and teens. Actually, it, it was on mental health and the decline of mental health that we have seen over the last several decades and how it correlates with the decline in free time and playtime for our kids. 
And the study showed that uh, that when we deprive our children of these opportunities to play in unstructured ways like that, we are really robbing them of the opportunity to develop skills they need for um, making their own decisions and running their life and being able to be confident in their abilities to tackle problems in life. So... Um, that's a lot that rides on having those kind of hours. And it's just something that is becoming rarer and rarer in modern childhood because we, one, we start them at school so early. Uh, we keep them in school so long, both um, the months, you know, short, summer breaks keep getting shorter and shorter and the school days keep getting longer and longer. They keep starting school at a younger and younger age. And, um, Really, it has totally changed the kind of childhood that our kids experience. Uh, You don't see kids out in the neighborhood running around and playing and making up games on their own and doing those things that build the confidence and skills that they need to succeed in life. So my advice would be to not overschedule your kids for their sake and for your own. Motherhood and parenthood should be so much more than just taxicabbing our kids from here and there. We need some time to be a family and to pursue individual interests as well. Then the last thing that I want to address, the final parenting mistake that has become all too commonplace is neglecting your marriage for your children's sake or ostensibly for your children's sake. Uh, Sometimes moms just expend so much time and thought and energy taking care of their children that they have nothing left to give their husbands. And that is not sustainable. When your marriage suffers, so do your kids. I was oblivious to that fact early in my own marriage and my relationship to my husband suffered as a result. The fact that I was sacrificing my time and my sleep and other things to be able to give my children what they needed made me feel like it would be okay for my husband to sacrifice some things as well, which is true on one sense. But when I decide that what's going to get sacrificed is my relationship with him and my intimacy with him, that is really bad news. And so uh, that is a mistake that I repented of pretty quickly. I'm so thankful that God convicted me that that was not healthy for our marriage, and I made adjustments. If you need to take a nap so that you have some energy left over when your husband comes home, or if you need to get up extra early to be able to spend time with him apart from the kids, whatever step is necessary to continue to nurture your marriage, even uh, after you have children. Children thrive most readily when they're raised in a stable home with two parents who love them and love one another. Genesis sets the standard For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. When Jesus quoted this passage in Mark 10, 7 through 9, he added the charge, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And I would say that 
your children are included in that charge. Don't let them come between you and your husband. Don't ever make your spouse feel like he has to compete with the kids for your attention. Nurture your marriage. Do fun things as a couple. Connect with one another on a regular, preferably daily basis. Doing that is going to model what a healthy, happy marriage looks like. But it will also demonstrate another important lesson that the entire world does not revolve around your child. The sooner our kids understand that fact, the better. I will be the first to admit that I've made lots of mistakes in my 35 years of parenting. At one time or another, I've committed all six of the faux pas that I've discussed on this podcast today. Perhaps you have too. But by God's grace, we don't have to stay stuck there. We can learn from our past mistakes. We can repent of poor attitudes and destructive habits and turn over a new leaf. We can reject bad parenting practices, no matter how common place they may be and instead choose to train up our children in a way that honors God and strengthens family relationships. Thanks so much for listening today. If you have a question you'd like to hear covered on this podcast, message me on Instagram at Flanders underscore family or contact me through my website, lovinglifeathome.com. Before you go, if you've been encouraged by something you've heard on the show, do me a favor and forward the link to a friend or head over to Loving Life at Home on Apple iTunes to subscribe and leave a written review of the show. Your doing so will help others find me so they can listen too. Until next time, I pray the Lord will bless your efforts to build a loving home life centered on Him.